Hello, hello, and welcome to Non-Technical, where I, your host, Alexis Gay, interview influential folks from tech, media, business, and beyond about everything except their resumes. Today on the pod, I'm very excited to say that we have Emily Best, the CEO and founder of Seed and Spark, though she's done a lot of other super impressive, really interesting things prior to that, which admittedly, I'm not going to ask her that much about. Emily, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I am excited to dive in. This episode of Non-Technical is brought to you by SecureFrame. SecureFrame helps organizations get enterprise ready by streamlining SOC 2 and ISO 27001 compliance so you can get compliant in weeks, not months. If getting SOC 2 or ISO 27001 compliant is something that's been sitting on your to-do list, but you feel like you don't have the time or resources to make it happen, SecureFrame is for you. And even if that level of compliance isn't something you think you need today, hopefully, if things go well, you'll need it tomorrow, right? So why wait? Book cost, sure. But SecureFrame customers save an average of 50% on their audit costs and hundreds of hours of their time. SecureFrame's team of compliance experts and auditors are happy to help answer any questions and give you more information on SOC 2 or ISO 27001 compliance. So schedule a demo today at secureframe.com. So Emily Best is the founder and CEO of Seed and Spark, a platform that makes entertainment more diverse, inclusive, connected, and essential. An advocate for diversity and inclusion in the entertainment industry, Best regularly speaks at conferences and events about leveraging entertainment to build equity and sustainability for everyone. After completing Techstars Boston in 2016, she's now a mentor for Techstars, Plug in South LA, Start with Eight Hollywood, Square One Startup School. She serves on the advisory board for Illyria Tech and Ncrawl. Best has raised millions of dollars in traditional funding, equity crowdfunding, and rewards-based crowdfunding, and has personally participated in more than 300 crowdfunding campaigns. Emily Best, I am so excited to have you. I'm so excited to have you. I realized that 300 number was probably outdated five years ago. I should probably update that at some point. <laughs> Where do you think it is now? In the thousands. I, <gasps> like, just, I mean, honestly, between mutual aid and GoFundMes from mm-hmm. the myriad national tragedies that we're facing, mm-hmm. it's probably mm-hmm. been 20 in the past week. Um, wow. It's not always at that pace, but crowdfunding is sort of how I enter into the world these days. So Wow. Well, I am so excited to have you on the show today. I know I was saying to you before that one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is that you seem like a person online. You seem like a cool, interesting, engaged person. And of course, between your background at Seed and Spark and mine at, at Patreon and other creator tech, we have sort of that shared background as well. So I'm stoked to dive in. The passion economy. Yeah. The creator economy. <laughs> the shit that we don't need to talk talk about today. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yes, we've officially hit our quota on mentions of the passion economy for this podcast. The quota is one and we've hit it. Great. Great. (laughs) Let me ask you this, Emily, work is done for the day and you close your computer. Then what happens? Well, usually by the time I'm closing my computer, one or both of my children has invaded my office space. Sure. It's usually the two-year-old who is talking a million miles an hour and wants to play some (laughs) form of game. And I will try to distract her or, you know, in the pandemic, we all just plop them in front of the television so I can cook dinner. Sure. Now that I don't have a commute, I've discovered that cooking dinner is my transition time from work to humanity. Yeah. Is there anything in particular you really like to cook? I mean, I love food. Um, (gasps) So the things that we cook most often in my house are like bolognese. And Yum. I made chicken pot pie this weekend. Yum. I barbecue a lot. I have a grill outside. So 
And it, I live in Northern California, so I can get away with grilling like basically 365 days a year. That's so amazing. I also love a meal where I can cook the entire thing on the grill, like yes. the starch and, and the veg and the meat all at once and then just drop it on the table. I am historically an untalented chef. So I am a big advocate of one situation, all ingredients. I love a good sheet pan. I love a good stir fry, grill. One pot meal. It's great. I love a stew. Mm. Oh, we love a stew. Honestly, so convenient. Well, so here's the thing I was realizing about stews the other day is that usually if I cook a meal, like I sort of already know what's going to happen once I hit the table. But with a stew, you put a bunch of things in the pot and then the magic happens. And Mm -hmm. then you, even as the cook, get the surprise and delight of how the meal tastes. Yes. You know, which I like, I really appreciate. So, yeah. I love that. I also, I can't remember the exact phrasing of how you just said it, but you were like, here's the thing about stew. And I was like, <laughs> yes, we are aligned. <laughs> I, I feel a lot of positive feelings about stew in general. Me too. Yeah, and we'll stew all the meats. I like to have a bottle of cheap red wine sure. always at the ready, yep. like a little bit off so I can augment a stew or a sauce. That's advanced. Adding things by intuition is very advanced cooking in my book. I got really lucky. So my stepdad, who has been in my life since I was seven years old, was a chef and Mm. retired relatively early on enough in my life that a lot of the cooking he did was for us. And he's Greek. So like cooking was in his blood (gasps) anyway. Yes. It was a real training. And then we would sit down to eat and he'd be like, what's in this? Train your taste buds, basically. What are the spices? What are the herbs? He was very like methodical about it. And I didn't really appreciate that until much later when I realized like I had a facility for cooking that maybe was uncommon for someone my age. It was because I was getting tested. At, at the dinner table. What is that? So are you somebody that when you're cooking, you can be like, ooh, this needs coriander or something like that? You you know which yeah. spices it needs? So I mean, sort of. I, I think my range okay. is probably somewhat limited. I have some key spices I really like to cook with and I really like cooking with mm. fresh herbs. So I do kind of have yes. a sense of like, oh, this fresh herb would be, once yes, Greek men yes. retire, they garden, like that's how it works. Okay. <laughs> so he was always like in the garden growing things and especially herbs and bringing them into the house and cooking them or drying mm. them. I currently have a ginormous bunch of rosemary drying in the pantry because my stepdad oh my God. was like, we harvested the rosemary. Like here it is. Yes. Do you have a favorite herb? Ooh, love me some thyme. I think it's thyme. really versatile. Okay. Because also you can make tea out of it, which has like antibacterial properties. Really? Oh my God. Yeah. Anybody who spends any time in Spain, thyme tea is their Robitussin. Anything that's wrong with you, they're like, you're going to drink this thyme tea. That sounds really great. I'm actually thinking to myself though, now that I can't picture what thyme tastes like. I'm intimidated by it. It's got those teeny tiny leaves and it's kind of like rosemary light has that kind of punch aroma, but it's like not, it's not as far along. And uh, so it's good for chicken. But also good for other meats. You can put it in anything. It's delicious. Put it in your eggs. Mm. Okay, breakfast is the one thing that I think I'm good at. I'm proficient at breakfast. Great. What's your favorite breakfast thing? So I make lots of chopped vegetables almost every morning. I throw in whatever I've got. So we've got like mushrooms, green onions, tomatoes, zucchini. Today I did zucchini for the first time and I was like, okay, game changer. Zucchini is now in the rotation. Absolutely. And then I'll do two eggs, usually over easy. You know, throw them on top, Mm -hmm. little sliced avocado. Yep. Pro tip, little everything yep. but the bagel seasoning on that. Perfect okay. breakfast every time. So mm-hmm. my my only addition would be Tell me. I keep in the fridge some sour cream. <gasps> I press a clove of garlic and oh. some smoky paprika. And I mix <gasps> that 
And that's my like go-to condiment, especially for oh eggs, God. but kind of everything. Like it works on your tacos. It works on on stew. It works on everything. Yeah. <laughs> and back to stew. Importantly, <laughs> let's bring it back to bring stew it back to the part. <laughs> Wow. That's a really amazing tip. That sounds delicious. Have you ever been known as the something person in school, at work, among your friends? I shudder to think, to be perfectly honest. But well, I did a sort of dramatic thing in my late 20s, which is I shaved my head. And I think oh, once really? you do that, you go through a period yep. of time being known as the shaved head girl. 100%. Right. Yeah. And you get tre- yep. I, like, I think I was treated objectively differently. After. Yeah. The way men treated me, the way women treated <sighs> me, just generally speaking. I think I was never known as the edgy person. Right. Yes. I don't think anybody would ever describe me that way. Like, but all of a sudden I had this very edgy look. Yeah. And so I had the experience of like moving in the world with a really different skin on in a certain mm. way. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I had super, super short hair. It was basically a high and tight. I don't know if you're familiar with yeah, that. It's like a military totally. haircut. And I would go to a men's barber shop and get a high and tight for a couple of years. And I I really, I loved it. Wow. What was the biggest difference between having your hair the length it was before and then after you shaved it? If I'm going to answer it honestly, it's like a very, this is a very personal answer, but the way men treated me was very different Mm -hmm. because all of a sudden they viewed me as a certain kind Mm -hmm. of creature. So the kind of interest I started getting And I was like in my late 20s and like in shape, right? So as a now 40-year-old, I don't even remember what this is like, but but I started getting a very specific kind of focused attention that Mm -hmm. was very interesting. I was like, oh, I see you. That is really interesting. I've never shaved in my head. I did have a pixie cut for a year in high school. So cute. Which I agree, I thought was cute. And at the time, I also had a summer job working at a candy shop. Oh, you were literally a manic pixie dream girl. (laughs) Literally. Yeah, I wish. Oh, my God. And especially at the time, I wished because Garden State was my favorite movie. I loved Elizabethtown. (laughs) Unfortunately, there were no Zach Braff types in my life confirming that I was a manic pixie dream girl. I think I was just like the girl at the candy shop that had a pixie cut. And I wore like a little visor. And it actually, I know for a fact, did not do a lot for my dating life. <laughs> at the time. But I look back and I'm really glad that I did it. Yeah, I'm still thinking about going back to shaving my head. And the only yeah. reason I'm not right now is because my mom just insists that I don't. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. She's, I mean, so go a little heavy for a second. My mom's yeah. uh, in treatment for cancer right now. So she has no, chemo. So, so she has mm-hmm. no hair. Because I was like, oh, mom, I'll shave my head in, yeah, in yeah. solidarity. And she's Certainly. like, don't you dare. Like, you keep mm. your hair long. And I was like, okay, I'm keeping my hair long. Like, yeah, it's you like, well, I'm going to keep it. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent, yes. Also, I think that I would get very cold. Does it make you cold? Yep. Shaved my head in November in New York. Oh, no. Oh, move. girl. Yeah. Oh, was no. a bad move. Yeah. <laughs> Had a lot of beanies. Yeah. Had a lot I of bet. beanies. <laughs> thick coats. Long underwear. It was yes. a bad move. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. Well, good tip. If I ever consider it, I'll stock up on beanies in advance. Absolutely. What is the tiniest hill that you're willing to die on? So something pretty inconsequential that you would really go to bat for. It's pronounced gif. Yes. Yep. Do you get a lot of pushback on that? Oh, yeah. Even from inside (laughs) my own team, which I really, really resent. That's outrageous. (laughs) I agree because it's clear what the answer is. 100%. Um, but yes. And I'll join like you on One this of my hill. very best yeah. friends says GIF mm-hmm. and it makes me want to cry because I'm like, how could you do this to me? Well, I would say, first of all, kudos to you for being the kind of person that can have a friend who says GIF. <laughs> I think that's huge. 
and people should know that you're a hero, basically. But thank you. I, I can't imagine moving through the world and saying, ah, look at this GIF I found. But I, the G stands for graphics. Right. It's a hard G. Graphics, which is mm-hmm. how my daughter would say it. And she's two. Oh, <laughs> I guess it, if you're two, I'll accept it because it would be GIF. Cute. I'll take GIF. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of words she says wrong that I love. Did you see that article that came out a couple years ago that the creator of GIFs had an opinion on this? Yeah. So I feel a little bit like just generally speaking, once you release something into the world, yep. yeah, the world gets to decide what it's a little bit like okay. a piece of art. <laughs> the other thing is like you can make something and be wrong about it. Yeah, that's a good point. I wonder if my podcast will ever get popular enough to have its own pronunciation out in the zeitgeist. <laughs> known technical. <laughs> non technical. So non technical. <laughs> yeah, Wait, coming. now I want to start calling it non technical. I love that. Yeah. Give it that little that's, valley spin at the end. Yeah, non technical. Yeah. I love that. Oh, that's great. Wow. Okay. Well, that's aspirational then for me. <laughs> now you know where you're heading. You got to know now in order know. to get there. Yeah, well, what gets measured gets managed, Emily. So off we go. (laughs) Have you ever been proven really, really wrong about something? Yeah, I've been divorced. Okay. Yeah, that'll do it. I I promised in front of God and everybody that I was going to love this Mm -hmm. person until the end of my days. And like Mm. pretty soon thereafter, I was like, no, I'm not. I was wrong. Yeah. When you look back at that. So you thought you were right and then you were wrong. Well, if I'm really honest, I knew I was wrong before mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. wedding. I was yep. like 26. Sure. You know, I knew I was wrong before the wedding. So okay. I'm not I'm not sure like when I was proven really wrong. But I think also there was part of it of like I got engaged young and my parents pushed back and I was like, you don't know what I feel. Yeah, of course. <laughs> they were right. They were right. I was wrong. I don't know what to say. A hundred percent. Well, such as it is. That feeling is very specific that you don't know how I feel. Was there a musical soundtrack that sticks out in your mind about that period of time in your life? <laughs> oh, my God. Well, so the divorce period was, I said this recently to a friend of mine, Amy Winehouse Back to Black came out in yes. 2006. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Or 2007. Sure. And I think that album gave me the courage to get divorced. <gasps> really? Because it was a woman talking unabashedly about mm-hmm. her failure, mm. her dark feelings, her bad impulses, her infidelity, all of those things. Yep. And like, I really feel like that album was, gave me a lot of courage. I mean, I listened to that 10 times a day for months. Yeah. <laughs> like it spoke yes. to me on a deep level. That was definitely the soundtrack for for the divorce anyway. For the You Don't Know What I Feel I don't know. It would have been something really immature. (laughs) I can't. What was I listening to back then? I don't remember. Did you keep listening to Back to Black after the divorce or have you sort of put it away as a soundtrack of a particular time? Oh, no. I just expanded my like Amy Winehouse appreciation. Okay. And I think it's like one of the only celebrities who when they died, I was like Mm. stricken. Yes. I think I have listened to every available recording of hers many, many, many times. Totally. Such a such a soulful, gorgeous voice. Yeah. I don't know if it was actually in the documentary about her, but she said, you know, 
I didn't think when I wrote this music about what the experience would be of performing it over and over again. So I write the music huh. from like my darkest place. And yes. then basically she had to revisit those places night after night after mm -hmm. night after night after night. Yes. And it was her music in some ways that, as I understand what she was saying, kind of perpetuated some of her self-destruction. And so yeah. you think of it as her savior, but like, I mean, she gave such a gift to humanity and it, you know, was part of the death of her, which is really hard to square. Wow. I sort of, you know, I kind of sort of like light a candle and listen to those albums because I think yeah. she gave us a big, big gift. Absolutely. It actually reminds me a little bit of how Hannah Gadsby spoke about performing her one woman show slash stand up comedy special Nanette. Yeah. And having to revisit those places, which are so vulnerable, especially in something like comedy as well. Yeah. Boy, Nanette and Douglas, which I actually got mm -hmm. to see live, that sort of humanity that lives mm -hmm. in between suffering and revelation and humor and mm. sadness. That's yep. the stuff that's most interesting to me from an art perspective and the stuff that sort of speaks to me the most. I've been listening to this podcast, The Hilarious World of Depression. Hmm. Oh, I don't know it. Learning about just how many of the comics whose work we love so much suffer from depression. Yes. And how they deal with it and how it infuses itself into their work. And, mm -hmm. you know, how their work peels back layers. And Mike Birbiglia talks about his feelings and his sort of ennui mm -hmm. in all of his stand-up and, and how yep. that's, like, much more interesting from an art perspective and makes things, in my opinion, actually much funnier. Yes. Yes. He's one of my favorite comedians. And something that I heard him talk about recently was confessing, coming from a place of confession in comedy. Yeah. And I yeah. find that fascinating. And it's something that I, I I personally think about a lot in my work, but I just love that idea of digging in a little bit. And it has to be in a way that feels safe to you as a performer, but yeah. it makes a lot of his comedy come from a really interesting place. Well, such a fascinating way to play with a power dynamic with an audience, right? Is to like invite them so close to you. Yep. Right? That's actually a very powerful place to come from is that kind of confession because you're like, I just turned you into the therapist, the priest, the primary partner, mm -hmm. the whatever it is in your life, whoever it is in your life that receives confessions, right? Or I yes. made a safe space for you to think about your own confessions. It's such a powerful tool to kind of establish yourself with an audience when you just say something that's so honest that it's disarming. Absolutely. Oh, God, absolutely. What is something that you are really, really good at that people would be surprised to learn about you? I have a reasonably green thumb. Okay. It sounds like it from all of the herbs. I have an absurd number of houseplants, like an embarrassing number of houseplants, like a number of houseplants that clearly indicates that that's how I deal with my anxiety. Okay. <laughs> but I think that seems like an appropriate number of houseplants. <laughs> Can I guess? Can I guess a range? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's say I would like to see a good five. I could see five per room. Maybe there's three or four rooms where houseplants could get good light. And so I'm going to say like somewhere between 18 and 23 houseplants. That's a, that's a great, very reasonable guess. And the answer is a little more than double that. <laughs> so that's where I am right now. That's what 2020 has done to moi. Yeah. How many did we start 2020 with? I mean, I have seven in my office right now. Um, yes. No, eight. Look, there's a bromeliad. <laughs> uh, no, we did not start 2020 with this many houseplants because my husband and I okay. were moving around. Like we left LA oh, yeah. at the beginning of the pandemic. We came up mm -hmm. to Sacramento thinking it was for a couple of weeks to like wait it out. Yeah. Ha -ha. So mm -hmm. naive. I've never been back to Los Angeles since then. We went to New York for a couple of months to stay with some Great. family and then came back and landed in a house where we will be for the next like 18 
plus months. Yeah. And I started appropriately decorating. And the only, I have no skill at that. I just add sure. houseplants to things. Yeah. That's great. That's that my, works. That's all I do. Rainforest vibes. A shelf should go there with a house plant on it. Put a plant on it. I would say the major acquisition phase was like in the last two months. Okay. We went from like 10 to 50 pretty quickly. Okay. <laughs> Things have been escalating. You've really seen some yeah. hockey stick growth in the uh, yes. house plant per that's square exactly foot. Right. <laughs> my husband is like, okay, um, maybe you don't go to the nursery this weekend. I can't imagine a more delightful thing for someone to come home to me with than another plant. He's very cool about it. I'll be honest, like very cool about it. And honestly, like it's partially an addiction to houseplants and like having yeah. something to care for, but also partially an addiction to the ceramic ware that they go yes. in. Yes, that's a huge a added bonus of buying a plant is you get to also pick another cute thing to put the yes. plant in. That's right. Which sort of doubles the cost, but like, okay. Sure. But you can't put a price on happiness, you know. That's that's right. Thank you. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's what I'll that's what I'll say next time I'm headed yeah. to the nursery. Mention it to your Thank husband. You. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna quote you. <laughs> wow, I love that. Gosh, I love having plants in the room so much. It makes me feel like things are alive. That where I'm like, look, if this house plant is thriving, I could yeah. be thriving. That's right. And they have like little personalities. Yes, you know? I totally agree. Like the way that they approach the light, they have something called a false shamrock. It's a pretty big like set of shamrock leaves, right? The three oh. kind of heart-shaped leaves and they're dark purple. Mm-hmm. And they reach for the light. They open up and like reach for the light during the day. And then at wow. night, they basically like wilt and shut down. And they're <gasps> like, shh, everybody, shh, they go to sleep. Wow. Right? They like really know how to relax. Yeah. And I appreciate that plant because it's like a reminder at the end of the day, shut down. Close those leaves. Yeah. Wow. That's food for thought right there. I'll have to think more about that. Is there a fad that you look back on participating in, and that could be fashion or cultural or workout, whatever, that now looking back makes you a little cringy? Yeah, there's a few that I don't feel cringy about. Like I fully leaned into the Thai bow craze and got in great shape oh, and was super great. into Billy Blanks, like loved it. Yeah. This is going to date me. And maybe also this was location based. I feel like some of these fashion fads were very regional. Sure. But man, when I was in junior high, it was a thing to wear the like no fear or Stussy t-shirt. Okay. And kind of everybody did that at a certain age range. But then men's boxer shorts. Really? Lounging around the house or to school? No, or... to fucking school. I would wear oh, them boy. to school. If you looked around, it was like, yeah. you know what everyone was, men's boxer, the, the boys were not wearing that, obviously. Yeah, sure, sure. And you would like, you know, if you were paying attention to your stuff, you would sew the... Um, the, I was just like, going to ask the flap. shut. Yeah, exactly. I think back on that and I'm like, my parents were like, they really did let me wear what I wanted to wear. Wow. And there are some times that I looked at stuff and I was like, you could have said something. Yeah, maybe someone could have had some feedback, but yeah. I like that they wanted you to express yourself. And it sounds like it's not like you were the only one that was doing it. This was a no, common no, no. thing at your school. Yeah, I was absolutely doing a thing that everyone else was doing. This was not like I invented, let's yeah. wear men's boxer shorts. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> men's boxer shorts. This is so embarrassing and disgusting. But like, I remember finding basically like an old pair of my dad's boxers that had like a cool kind of like older plaid, like weathered plaid pattern and being like yep. excited to get to wear them to school. <laughs> like that's where I was. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I love that. That oh, is I so haven't thought about specific and funny. I know years. you're like, oh. <laughs> Should I have said that on the record? Not sure. Not sure. You know what? Who's to say? Who's to say? <laughs> don't don't worry. The listeners of non-technical, <laughs> I'm sure will be very understanding. 
Wow. Do you know what shoes you were wearing with that? I'm trying to picture the whole look. It's probably low top Converse. Okay. I was thinking something of the sneaker variety. Yeah. Although at that time I was also getting into Doc Martens. Okay. So it could have been a pretty fucking strong look. Yeah. It so- I mean, it sounds strong either way. Yeah. Yikes. I think that that is a look that if people that age were wearing it today would also be considered a strong look, actually. Yeah. Well, I do see some of the things rolling back around. Really? That we were doing. Yeah, the like, you know, the the two pairs of socks or mismatched socks. Is that back? Mismatched socks? Oh, yeah. Huh. I have seen it. Yeah, I have seen. Well, you know, Punky Brewster is back. I see. So. I did not know. Here's the thing. I... This so when I was in school, we had a dress code. I am from Connecticut. We had dress codes forever, not uniforms. Connecticut has a dress code. Connecticut has a dress code. In order to get into the state, you have to uh, you have to pearls wear a collar shirt. I got it exactly. Yep. Yep. And I was not. I and I am mostly to this day a pretty big rule follower. So I did not have anything cool in my wardrobe that I was wearing, like mismatched socks. But as an adult now. I have carried all of that with me, my style. You can tell I went to prep school. (laughs) You're like, she went to prep school and then lived in New York for a long time. And then here we are. A lot of black, like boat neck things. Oh, like the exact thing that I'm wearing right now as we speak. Mm. Oh, is (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. As I stare at my wool pea coat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's at some point that actually becomes like a pretty strong choice in and of itself. Yeah, hell yeah. I stand strong in my Regent collar, but you know, it's still there. <laughs> what is the most memorable gift you've ever given or received? Uh, I mean, I hope this doesn't sound super basic, but it's definitely my engagement ring. Oh, that's not basic at all. Tell me about it. Well, I, I wasn't expecting it. I was really pregnant. And my boyfriend at the time and I had basically had the conversation of like, Ugh, like we'll deal with, yeah, we'll yeah. deal with marriage later. Yeah, one thing at a time. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Like we got pregnant kind of early in our relationship and just were like, let's do it. Yeah, turned out great so far. So a month before I was due to give birth, he took me on this just delightful day, and I thought it was mm. sort of like a baby moon thing. Oh sure, we were in LA. We went to a big open air food market thing. I was not very strict in my later months of pregnancy with either of my kids. Sure. I was like eating oysters and having a little bit of beer, yeah. like like really <laughs> indulging. It was also really hot. And then, yeah. yeah, we did all this like fun stuff. He like bought me a necklace. Oh, that sounds like a really nice day. It was a lovely day. We lived on the east side. We went to the west side and like mm. walked along the beach and had a really nice dinner at this Japanese restaurant he yeah. loves. And then we came home. And at that time, we had a little balcony. This was the day after 4th of July. We're sitting on this little balcony outside of our bedroom and he gets his guitar and comes out and like plays this song. And it's like a song he wrote for me. And like, as the song is progressing, I'm like, oh, this is so sweet. Yeah. And then the, the, there's a setup. I don't remember what the line was, but I was like, there's only one thing that rhymes with that. And the last line of the song was, will you marry me? And then he gets down on one knee and he presents this ring. And I swear to God, God. our neighbors unrelated to this event, set off a ginormous firework that exploded no. behind him no. the second he did that. It was unbelievable oh my God. timing. Yeah. And I had no, I had just no idea that it was coming. Oh, the other thing, and this really should have tipped me off, is 
I have a little like Instax like Polaroid camera. And he was like, mm-hmm. let's take this. It'll be fun. We'll like document the day. Oh, I, no, I like so the whole day is documented on these little tiny Polaroids. It's like just too cute for words. Oh, my but, yeah, God. definitely the most chills. memorable. I legitimately have chills. That's such yeah. a nice story. And he's a musician, right? Yeah. The firework was really like, the firework is incredible. incredible. Yeah. The reason I confirm that he's a musician is that I think for some people, their boyfriend bringing out a guitar would be a confusing uh, move. It would be a confusing moment. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I really don't want to listen to Wonderwall again, babe. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking like, like please. Hmm. But for Not him, today. I can see where it's like, ah, oh, how nice. Yeah. Some guitar yeah. on the balcony. Yeah, totally. Totally. He's not a forceful musician, meaning he's not constantly like, babe, 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 listen to this. Babe. <laughs> like, like never. You know, oftentimes okay, he'll be working on something and he'll come out of the studio like really jazzed. And I'll be like, hey, can I take a listen? Yeah. It's not oppressive. Um, so when he gets out his musical instruments, I'm usually delighted. That really does sound nice. And the ring itself, you mentioned as the best gift. Is it the ring or is it just sort of that whole day and what it represents? I think it was the day. I mean, the ring is lovely. The ring, I would find out, was made up from stones from his grandmother's ring. Oh, my God. Listen to that. Well, so he wanted to give me his grandmother's ring, but his grandmother was a very Mm. dainty person with very dainty fingers. And when he took it to the jeweler, they were like, oh, no, we can't size it up that far. You're out of your mind. Like, you'll just have to make (sighs) an entirely new ring. Yeah. Like, her fingers are way too fat for that ring. Uh, So he did. He made made (laughs) an entirely new ring. Yeah. I was like, thanks. Cool, cool. Got it. Got it. I mean, personally, that would be my preference, though, because then it has some history and some family legacy, but it still feels special to you. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely love it. I was thinking about that and I was like, I, maybe that's basic. But if you're talking about most memorable gift, yes, hands down. And also I see it every day. I don't think that's basic, even in the slightest. So anyone who tells you that's basic, they're wrong. You can send them right to me. You can quote me on that. <laughs> personally. I will. That and uh, what am I telling my husband? You can't put a price on happiness. That's right. Those are the takeaways. I'm getting a lot out of this. (laughs) Okay, good. I want to make sure that you get a lot of value out of that. I'll just send him the audio file if you want. Just let me know. Perfect. Yeah. He's very good with audio files. That's what I heard. That's what I heard. Yeah. So Emily, I have a two-part question for you, which is who would play you in a movie about your life? And Should this be a biopic or should we focus on one particular year or era of your life? Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay, well, so now it depends, right? So if it's a biopic, then adult me probably has to be Soleil Moonfry only because growing up, I looked exactly like her. I don't think I know everybody, my whole life, Punky Brewster, that's why I brought her up earlier. My whole life, people are like, oh, my God, do you know who you look like? And I'm like, yes, I do. Really? So that's been common? My whole life, which is like very flattering. But also now I can't give you another answer. Sure. Because it just has to be her. That's great. I'm Googling right now. And yes, I can confirm. I think she'd be great. And as far as the period of time that the movie would cover, what do we think? Biopic or focus in on a particular period of time? Probably the most interesting era of my life cinematically was the two years I spent in Barcelona as a tour guide for English bachelor parties. Yes. And discovered at some point that I was an inadvertent participant in the sex trade (gasps) and then got out. Oh my goodness gracious. Yes, ma'am. Wow. Yeah, I think we could turn that into a movie. That's that little era, I think is probably 
is probably the most cinematically interesting. Yeah, I think that there's a lot, a lot of themes that could be explored. <laughs> a lot of stuff to unpack there. Definitely a lot to unpack. A very a big twist on the American abroad narrative. You know, it's something that people That's haven't right. seen before. Yep. Wow. Yeah, I think that would do it. What makes you laugh? I like to laugh. I like a good pun. Yeah. Like a good word joke. Okay. You know, a word joke in general. I'm very farts like sure. everybody. Like okay. my kids are so, it is so amazing to me how young humans think farting is funny. How young, Like roughly? my daughter was intentionally farting and laughing by like nine or 10 months old. Really? You know what I mean? Like that is so young. So much younger than I would have guessed. Yeah, same. And I think part of it is because she has an older brother. And so, okay. Nash, right. But that is an endless source of humor in my house. Also like blaming people. Okay. Like in my house, it's like, no, that was, that was Mina. She did it. <laughs> that is so funny. Are you a pun person yourself? Do you make a lot of puns? I don't know that it's really my best. It would be really great if I could like just produce one right now, but sure. I can't. That's not the kind of person I am. But I okay. have a lot of friends who are, hmm. which I, I realize is like I surround myself by word joke people. My husband's very good with it. My dad obsessed. Nice. Well, like the other day. Oh, my God. Okay. The other day, I'm on a group text with my dad and my brother and sister. And oh my God, we're like a hundred thousand messages in now. <laughs> like he sends us the jokes he doesn't think he should post on Facebook. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. But also like a very specific universe of jokes. <laughs> oh God, where is it? It was something about somebody getting their finger cut off in a factory. Okay. What did he say? He said, I guess they're averse to digitization. Oh my goodness something gracious. Like that. And I was like, this is why I'm broken like this. <laughs> wow. When it comes to puns, are you somebody that finds them funnier the worse they are? Or are you only into a truly solid intellectual pun? Oh, no, I'm not fussy. Okay. I don't I don't have like a bougie pun okay. taste. I like um, I appreciate somebody who tries. Okay. Because I think when it comes to puns, I really need to know my audience because I do feel like a bad pun is pretty readily accessible to me at all times. I feel that's incredible. I feel that there's always a pretty that. thank you. Thank you for seeing my truth. <laughs> it's out there at all times. But a good pun is hard to come by. Okay. And so Absolutely. I feel like I have different friends who I know what their taste level is when it comes to that. Mm. And I can fire off the worst pun in the world to, for example, my friend Steve, because he will return it with an equally horrible pun. But then there are other I people where I'm like, I'm not going to waste their time with this pun. You know, are those really your friends? That's a great question. That's a great question. Just food for thought. Yeah. I should probably do some evaluation. You know, it's definitely like a, <laughs> if you don't deserve me at my worst pun, then you don't deserve me at my yeah. best either. Yeah. No, hmm. absolutely. There was a period of time with that friend Steve in college where our text messages back and forth, it was all puns. We just would keep going and they would get farther and farther away from the original wordplay. I cherish those moments. We've been friends for a decade. So he's somebody I can always go to if I have a terrible pun ready. Locked and That's loaded. Really important. I have apparently, I and my siblings have become that for my father. Yeah. Like the receptacle for his bad puns. <laughs> he lives alone on an island. And so, he, well, not, I mean, he's not the only resident on the island. I think he does not live with anybody else and he lives on an island. Yes. And so, so we get jokes that he wishes somebody were there to laugh at. I understand. Wow. Yes. You know what? I think that is probably relatable for a number of people in my life because <laughs> I typically live alone. And so, <laughs> 
You can imagine somebody the thing you thought was so funny. Absolutely. You can imagine the types of texts and calls my friends receive. So if you had to do a stand up set tomorrow, if you had to do five minutes at an open mic, A, what would you talk about? And B, how would you feel? First of all, I would never because it's I can't imagine anything harder in the universe. (laughs) Although I know that the West Side Comedy Club in L.A. does something called the Virgin Suicides where somebody who's never done stand up before is given the opportunity to do an hour oh, and then like a real an hour but but who will never ever do it again do you know what I mean? Like oh, somebody who's like the literally the virgin suicide. I have God. this fantasy that I'm going to do stand up one time in my life. Yes. It's like Cheryl from accounting and yes. all of her friends show up, but they have like a professional comic open for her. <gasps> it's yes. the coolest thing. Like it's such a good thing. Would you ever do that? If I were doing virgin suicides at this yeah. point, it would probably be about pandemic parenting of toddlers. Okay. I'm sure. Because like the tragedy of it is so yeah. palpable that yes. that's probably why it would be funny. So much of this has been an absolute disaster. <laughs> yeah. And also, I think for anybody, I frankly, who's living with anybody else, but also living with tiny people who occasionally mm-hmm. like just projectile vomit on you for no reason. Oh, my God. That oh like, God, I think Emily. is a is a relatable source. Yes. I know there are tons of people who would agree with that. A few thoughts. One, I've heard comedy is tragedy plus time. That's right. Yeah. So I would need to do this in a few years because it's not funny yet. I think we would need to stop going through it every day and then people will definitely find it funny. And I'm wondering, are you somebody that believes in the mantra, you know, you have to laugh, you know, when shit's really hitting the fan? Do you use humor in that way? Absolutely. I would say like my approach to certainly Instagram has basically (laughs) been, I use Instagram maybe as my repository for the jokes I would like to make about my kids. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Or like the the ridiculous things that are happening. Uh, That has been my subtle outlet. But yeah, I absolutely like, if you're not laughing right now, you're probably in a very bad place. There's no no respite, really, like the things that we would normally do to like feel healthy yeah. and be healthy. Yeah. Be with our people, be with our friends, find like physical affection. Actually, the thing I miss most is like getting drunk with my friends, like laughing yeah. around a table <laughs> when everybody's drunk. I miss that so much. God, that sounds great. That my sounds husband mentioned so good. it the other day, doesn't it? He mentioned it the other day and his eyes welled up with tears. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> oh we were just God. like, he felt it so viscerally. Like, I miss that, you know? Yes, so, I do know. Yeah. I deeply do. <laughs> so I try to get together with friends virtually and yeah. like, laugh about the situation. But, you know, not like I want all that many more Zooms in my life. Oh, my God. I know that's the constant struggle. It's like, I'd love to see you, but I don't want to see me. Yes. You know? That's why hiding self-view is important. Yeah, I learned about that way too late in the game. I feel lucky that I knew instantly. There's just only so much time I'm willing to look at my own face. Yeah, It's small. Actually, no, there's studies that show it's like not really not good for you. Oh, good. All right. Well, I'm glad we've all been doing that all day, every day for a year. Yep. (laughs) I feel fine about that. I'm sure no lasting implications to something like that. That's right. So tell me this. Do you know your astrological sign and do you care? I'm a Leo and no. Okay, great. How do you know you're a Leo where it's just like come into your universe somehow through friends? When I was younger, like read the horoscope in the newspaper. Sure. Because that was interesting. I get the, oh my God, you're such a Leo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I get that for lot. being a Capricorn also a lot. I just don't know what it means. Do you think it's a compliment? I don't think so. I don't think it's a compliment when it gets said like that either. <laughs> yeah. At, at, at best, it's a backhanded compliment. Like it's right. somebody who's trying to shroud something, but it's like, not that effective because I don't know what they mean. Because I don't know. Yeah. 
<laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I'm like, if you're trying to be mean, I just don't know how. Yeah. So sorry, you might as well be telling me in German. Yeah, for Leos, I don't know much about them, but one of my best friends is a Leo. So I think you should take that one as a compliment. Okay, thanks. Yeah, yeah, you're so welcome. And I'm just going to start saying that to people when they say that. I'll be like, thanks. Thank you. Thank That's you. I, I actually am going to do the same every time someone goes, oh my God, you are such a Capricorn. When's your birthday? What is that? January mean? 19th. My daughter's birthday is January 19th. <gasps> are you serious? Yeah. Oh my she God. Was born, uh, January 19th. And you know, she came out of the womb very in, much in possession of herself. Yes. And very funny. <gasps> so Capricorn. I don't know. Maybe there's something well, to Well, then this. maybe I should yeah. take it as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> Usually it's when I'm being super type A. <laughs> Is that also, I, I yeah. would believe that. She has yeah. like, they, we just live in her house. Oh my God. I can't believe your daughter and I have the same birthday. That's so yeah. cool. That's so sweet. Awesome. So what about ghosts? Do you believe in ghosts? I think so. Sure. Like, okay. how boring would it be to not? I've, I've talked to many people who don't. I'm really into things being science-based, but also okay. like, I've had my own creepy ass experiences in old houses <laughs> that I feel like. I'd rather leave it open to the possibility that there's just somebody who's like, this is still my house. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Have you ever felt like you were in the presence of a ghost? Oh, a thousand percent. My dad for a time lived in one of the oldest houses on Long Island. Really? Yeah. The oldest part of the house was built in like the 1630s or something like that. Oh oh my God. Like one thousand percent there was a somebody some sound walking up yeah. and down the hallway at night when you said your dad lives on an island you didn't mean long island right i did not no okay. that, that is an island that he also lived on he's also lived on the island of manhattan well actually what's funny tell me is the island he lives on is in fact called long island but not that long island oh really this is a five square mile island very like 20 miles off the very far north part of the down east coast of maine wow yeah, he lives with like 15 other people who are mostly lobstermen. Wow, that's yep. fascinating. Wow, Maine is really beautiful. That must be nice. <laughs> oh, the winter looks really cold. Yeah, it does look cold, but good, good, not good if you have a shaved head. That's for sure. No. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. Great. This episode of Non-Technical is still brought to you by SecureFrame. SecureFrame helps organizations get enterprise ready by streamlining SOC 2 and ISO 27001 compliance so you can get compliant in weeks, not months. SecureFrame believes security should accelerate innovation and growth, and they're on a mission to make the most powerful security simple and accessible for every organization. Not only does SecureFrame help growing companies secure SOC 2 and ISO 27001 compliance, but they'll also help you continuously monitor and maintain it year after year. They'll streamline the process beginning to end, saving you an average of 50% on audit costs and hundreds of hours of time. By partnering with SecureFrame, you'll know what you're getting every step along the way. You'll save time for your team. You'll be able to fix issues quickly with real-time alerts and get support from real security experts. Their team of compliance experts and auditors are happy to help answer any questions and give you more information. Simply schedule a demo today at secureframe.com. And we are back with Emily Best, CEO and founder of Seed and Spark. Emily, we have come to a very exciting time in this episode of Non-Technical, which is the lightning round. Are you ready? No, but let's do it. <laughs> Great. Okay. Coffee or tea? Coffee. How do you take it? Actually, both. So I have coffee in the morning and tea in the afternoon. Milk and sugar okay. both times. <gasps> really? What kind of milk? Yep. Whole milk. 
Mm, me too. I'm not trying to have a bad time in this life. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here for a good time, not here for yeah. a long time. Come on. <laughs> Cream if you have it. Fine. I don't yeah. care. Yeah. Yeah. Bring it on. Okay. iOS or Android? iOS. Yeah. Forever and always? Uh, whatever. I'm in for a diamond for a dollar at this point. Like I just have sure. too many devices. 100%. Do you have a favorite board game? Uh, Cribbage. It's not a board <gasps> game. It's a card game. Oh, fun. Do you play that with your family? I play it with my husband on a regular basis. Nice. That's so yeah. fun. Oh, the couple that plays games together stays together. That's another thing you can quote me on. Some of the couples. I definitely okay. have friends <laughs> who cannot play games together. <laughs> like my husband and I like are very happy to trade games. We'll usually play two games and like however it lands, it lands. Yep. We're not very okay. competitive with each other. We talk shit, which is fun because sure. it's not competitive. So I'll be like, yep. I'm going to kick your ass tonight. And he's like, you better try. You know, it's like, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's probably just basically foreplay at this point. But yeah, but like, I definitely have friends who are like, oh, no, we can't play games. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm like, well, OK, that's telling. No, that's an essential part of any relationship for me. That's right. Do you have a pump up song? Oh, I have many. Depending on the day, it might be Jill Scott's Hate on Me okay. Hater. Okay. <laughs> um, I've actually been listening to the entire High Women album, which is not okay. exactly pump up music, but it just makes sure. me feel amazing about being Great. a woman person in the world. There's like an OK Go song called Invincible that I find oh. very pleasurable. I used to love OK Go. I have not heard that song. I'm going to have to check it out. Yeah, it's a good one. And finally, Emily, what would you title your memoir? <laughs> You know, I was trying to write this down and everything I wrote down sounded more like something that would belong on my tombstone. Really? <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, yes. she tried hard. Or yes. like, you know, <laughs> she finally quit slack. Yes. If I were actually going to title a memoir, seriously, I think it would be yeah. something like Find Your People. Yes, I love that. I Googled that recently just to see if I could title something. And it sure. was an article on Goop. And I was like, I'm throwing in the towel. Oh, yeah. What about, wait, you said she tried hard. What about she tried her best? <laughs> we have to end the podcast now. Yep. There's no place to go from here. Play the outro music. Let's end it. That's where we have to end it. Emily, thank you so much for joining me on Non-Technical. This was a true treat. Uh, where can people find more about you or Seed and Spark on the internet? Seed and Spark is at Seed and Spark everywhere you might look. And I'm at Emily Best on Twitter, um, where I will do a lot of swearing, just to warn you. Sensor warning on that one. And you can find me at Yay Alexis Gay on Twitter and Instagram or at Non Technical Pod on Twitter. One more time, Emily, thank you again. Have a great day. Thank you so much. You too. Oh boy, I have a review to read and. This is one of my favorite reviews that I've ever received. Okay, so this is from Fager. This is five stars, and their subject line is, Wall Idol and and episode exists, play episode. I asked my friends who are engineers, they told me that this is pseudocode translating to, when I'm not doing anything, I listen to your show. That is awesome. <laughs> okay, here's the review. Non-technical demonstrates how to grow your employees' soft needs. Prepare to triple, triple, double, double, double your EQ. These efficient one-on-ones satisfied your dopamine receptor needs while enjoying this thought leader's unprecedented comedy. Wow. If an AI programmed for CorpSpeak didn't write that review, I would be shocked. Thank you so much for that review. I loved it. 
And if you want to hear me read your review on the next episode, hop on over to iTunes, leave me a review, toss some corpse speak, some tech lingo, even some pseudocode in there, and maybe you'll hear it on the pod. Until next time, I will talk to you soon. Have a great day. Bye.